be with you all tonight. Uh, appreciate the invitation to come. Uh, Hiram and Neil are two of my favorite preachers. I think I've told them both that. Um, and I don't say that. I, they may be the only two people I've said that to. They're not my only two favorites, but they may be the only two I've said that to. I understand you guys have been thinking about balance, and that is certainly a worthy uh, topic. It's certainly a worthy thing to ponder over and to meditate upon. And I think the word balance has more than one connotation. Sometimes we think of balance as holding two equally weighted things in such a way that we can move forward and go forward and ambulate and all of that in a comfortable, steady manner. But I would also tell you that balance doesn't always involve two equally weighted things. Balance has to do with holding two or more things, whether they be ideas or substances, holding two or more things in proper proportion. Some of the things that we'll think about over the next couple of days may have to do with holding two equally weighted things so that we can move forward in a steady and stable fashion. But some of those things will have to do with holding things in proper proportion, though they may not be equally weighted. And one of those things is politics. I want to think with you tonight about a balanced view of politics. We're all social beings. We live in community with one another. Because we are individuals living in larger communities, we find ourselves being part of multiple groups at the same time. Some of those groups are by God's design. He made male and female, and everyone who comes into the world is either male or female. We used to know that. To the extent that we want to segregate people based upon the amount of pigmentation in their skin, then people belong to distinct color groups. And we don't get any say in the matter. This is all by God's design. He is the one who created the human family, so there would be male and female. And he is the one who created a certain situation where we might have different amounts of pigmentation in our skin. And we don't get a say in that matter. We belong to different groups. Sometimes we belong to different groups because of decisions that other people have made for us. So we may dwell in a certain nation state, and that is because someone else made a decision to dwell there before we did, and then they brought us into the world in that nation state. And so we wind up being citizens of particular places. We may speak certain languages, and usually that's not our choice either. We speak the language of our parents most of the time. Sometimes, though, we get to choose. And so we choose to be part of certain academic groups or professional groups or athletic groups, religious groups, political groups. The thing to keep in mind here is that the more groups you belong to, the more possibility exists for there to be some tension between those various memberships that you have. Is this making sense so far? We're just getting started. Is it making sense so far? What I say to you is, if you belong to certain groups, they are exclusive. And so if you are part of one group, that necessarily means you cannot be a part of another group, male and female, for example. And it's important to keep this in mind, because if we don't have a proper balance in terms of our allegiance, our commitment to these groups, the ones that cannot change, we call those at the law immutable characteristics, things that cannot change. 
If we don't have a proper balanced view of our commitments and allegiances to those groups, it can create problems with people who are not in that group because it's exclusive. You know, if you happen to play for a certain sports team, that means you're not on another sports team. That's just what it is. And we understand that in life. Well, listen. Not only can it be exclusive, but it also becomes a potential circumstance for conflict because groups don't always have the same values or the same interests. I played sports a little bit growing up, and if I was on this team, you know what we wanted? We wanted to defeat the other team. We had a competing interest there. There was conflict. I win, you lose. That's the way I wanted it at least. So the fact that we belong to these different groups can bring us into conflict with other people. And by itself, that's not a negative thing. I mean, if you keep these things in balance, it's not necessarily a problem. I find, though, that people sometimes struggle to keep these things in balance. The difficulty, though, is not only between us and other people. Sometimes the difficulty is within ourselves, in our own hearts, in our own minds, because the various groups that we belong to do not always have the same values, and they do sometimes have conflicting interests, and all of that has to be resolved in the first instance in our own hearts and in our own minds. Sometimes we know this before other people would know it because it's happening in here. You can sometimes see this in your own life or in the lives of other people. I have to decide whether or not to prepare for an exam or prepare for the big game. There's conflict there. Nobody else needs to see that. Other people may not realize it, but it's all happening in here. And I'll make a decision, but having made the decision, that doesn't mean there wasn't conflict in my own heart and my own mind because I belong to more than one group. Sometimes people will have conflict in their own hearts about whether they should attend the worship service or or work an extra shift at work. I'm not telling you what you're going to decide. I'm just saying there's conflict there. And if no one else ever knows, it's happening right here. The fact is, every one of us belongs to multiple groups at the same time. And this creates a certain dynamic for us in our own hearts. It creates a certain dynamic for us when we deal with other people. And I think that sometimes we just ignore that. We just kind of accept it as a normal part of life and we resolve it without being very thoughtful or being contemplative. I say to you that a careful, thoughtful person will give these kinds of dynamics serious, thoughtful consideration. So that when the conflict does arise, and listen to me, it inevitably will arise in your heart, in your life, it will. A thoughtful, careful person will sort these things out before the conflict arises. You know, for me, if I were to have a conflict, this is just me speaking, if I were to have a conflict between preparing for an exam and preparing for the big game, the decision is made. One is more important than the other. They're not equal in my own heart, you see. If there were a conflict, this is just me speaking, if there were a conflict between what my employer wants and what God wants for me on the Lord's Day, the decision is made because in my own heart, and my own mind, these two things are not equally weighted. A thoughtful, careful person sorts these things out in advance because if you don't, When you make decisions about important things in haste, you make mistakes. Christians are not immune 
to this kind of difficulty. I think that sometimes, again, we take this for granted, and I think that's particularly dangerous for Christians. Because while everybody belongs to different groups at the same time, Christians belong to a group that other people do not belong to. Christians have obligations that other people do not have. And I'll tell you something, the one to whom we belong is quite demanding. He expects to be first. I remember reading that in my Bible. Have no other gods before me. He said that and he meant it too. So if you don't sort out these kinds of things in advance, you might find yourself being in conflict with the one who called you. You don't want that now, do you? So thoughtful, careful people will take account of the various groups to which they belong in advance and think about the relative weight, the importance that ought to be assigned to these different kinds of membership. So that when conflict arises, whether it's with someone else or in our own hearts, decision is already made about what we ought to do. I say to you, this is not um, a hypothetical kind of circumstance. There are interpersonal conflicts between Christians because of their membership in multiple groups. And I give you a couple of examples. I just want you to see where where I'm coming from. I'm not making this stuff up. I have sometimes seen Christians invite their spiritual brothers and sisters to leave the country of which they are all citizens and members if they don't like something here. People for whom Christ died. People who have accessed the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and who are all a part of the family of God inviting one another to leave the country of which they're all a part if they don't agree about a certain thing. You've never seen that, but I have. You take my word for it. I've seen circumstances where people will sometimes say things like, no Christian can be a Democrat. No Christian can be a Republican. You see, that kind of statement presupposes that one political party, their favorite flavor of heathen, has a monopoly on righteousness. And I sit there and look at all of them like they're crazy. I just belong to the party of Christ. I mean, to the extent that there is a party, I belong to the party of Christ. And when I see Christians who do not differ on fundamental values, fundamental matters of faith, falling out with each other because of their allegiance to some political group or another, I sit there and I cry because I know that Jesus didn't die for us to do that. I know that. I see people saying, in effect, they would rather live next door to a heathen who wears a red tie or a blue one. I wear a blue one tomorrow so you don't catch me too close. I wear a blue one tomorrow. I see people who think that it would be better for them to live next door to a heathen who agrees with them on political matters rather than a person for whom Christ died and who has accepted the sacrifice of Christ, another person who's a member of the blood-bought body of Jesus Christ who happens to differ with them on some matter of opinion. I'm sure here you guys have never seen that. I'm just telling you that I have seen it. 
And I know Jesus didn't die for that. It's not just that this kind of thing happens in our interpersonal relationships, that is, between two people, two Christians. It also happens in our own hearts, and I know that's true. I was teaching a, uh, I was teaching a Bible class once, and I was going through 1 Peter 2. You know, you go through 1 Peter 2, and he's talking about the fact that, you know, we suffer persecution and all that, and ultimately he comes to the conclusion that Jesus died having been persecuted and we're supposed to follow his example. So we're, we're kind of working through 1 Peter 2. And as we're going through, someone raises, it's, a, it's a, a, a man, a member of the church there, he raises his hand and he says, doesn't the Second Amendment give us the right to take up arms, to resist the government? I said, well, If you can show me where Jesus recommended that course, I'll take up arms with you. But you see, in his mind, he sees things happening in society. I see things happening, too, that I don't like. He sees things happening in society. He sees things happening politically that he doesn't like. I see things happening politically that I don't like, too. And he's got this allegiance to Christ, but he also has an allegiance to his government, a country of his national origin, and he sees a conflict there between what's going on in the two, and he's deciding that he should use, exercise his liberties and his rights as an American, if that is what the Second Amendment is saying, and it's not, by the way. <laughs> by the way, it's not. But he's saying he would use that liberty even if it might be in conflict with his allegiance to God. And so I said to him, if you can show me where Jesus recommended that course of action, I will take up arms with you. And then another brother says, you know what? That has always been a difficulty for us. He was talking about himself and the other brother and some other people in the congregation. That is the conflict between our commitments to Christ And our commitments to being an American or whatever they envision that that means. I'm saying to you, people have conflict in their own hearts and their own minds. And it may not manifest itself in ways that you can see, but that doesn't mean it's not there. I was talking to a brother once who made this statement. He made it in the presence of other people. I just happened to be there. And he says, I've got one hand on the Bible, one hand on the Constitution. So he has his Bible And he goes into his inside pocket and pulls out his small copy of the Constitution. And there were others who were amen in that and agreeing with that. And I said, listen, then you're doing it wrong. You need to have both hands on the Bible. I'm saying to you, there is conflict in people's hearts. And that conflict manifests itself in how Christians deal with each other. And because some of our commitments are exclusive, we may find ourselves being divided from people that we shouldn't be divided to based on things that God didn't really intend for us to divide about. Because there will be conflict between these various groups because their values do not always perfectly align. We might find ourselves falling out with people that we really ought to be falling in with. I say to you that Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. Matthew 6, 24. 
His expectation is that when there is a conflict between your commitment, your allegiance to him and your commitment or allegiance to anything else. All of your attention, all of your commitment, all of your allegiance belongs to him. Now, when he said you can't do it, he didn't mean that people wouldn't try. He just said it won't work. Because you will either hate the one and love the other, so you can't work. Now listen, you're going to have to choose at some point because there will be a divergence. And when the time comes, if you haven't thought this through in advance, you're going to make some mistakes. So what I want to do tonight is think with you a little bit about how we should resolve these sort of multiplicity of memberships that we can sometimes have. I want to look at the book of uh, Philippians, if you don't mind, turn over there. I want to say, tell you something about um, the background to the city of Philippi before we begin our reading. The city of Philippi has an interesting history. Um, you know that in Rome, before they had an emperor, they had a, a triumvirate. Julius Caesar had a, a triumvirate that he was a part of. And then the first emperor, Octavian, who became Augustus, was also a part of, an, of a triumvirate. And these triumvirates at times, people vying for power and everything, didn't quite get along. So, you know, Brutus was supposed to be on a team with Julius Caesar and he stabbed him in the back. I mean, that's just how it goes in politics. Who's surprised? Well, Augustus Caesar, before he was Augustus Caesar, he was called Octavian. One of the people who was in his group, his triumvirate, was a man named Mark Antony. You guys have probably heard of him. Well, Augustus or Octavian and Antony had a falling out with Brutus and Cassius. So we got two people on either side here. And they had several conflicts vying for power and so forth. And one of the one of the seminal battles they had was in a city called Philippi. And in Philippi, Octavian and Antony achieved a decisive victory over Brutus and Cassius in 42 uh, B.C. Now, after this, you guys know that Octavian went on to become the first official emperor there in Rome. He became known as Augustus Caesar. Well, when he rose to power, he recognized the city of Philippi because it had been the situs of this great victory that he and uh, Antony had enjoyed together. So he made Philippi into a Roman colony and sent several Roman soldiers into the city and made the city sort of a little Rome, if you will. The people who lived in Philippi lived as Romans and identified themselves as Romans. You remember in Acts, I think it's chapter 16, where uh, Paul goes in there and he's preaching, and the people there say, these things are not lawful for us to hear being what? Philippians? No, being Romans. So this city has an interesting history because even though it's situated outside of Italy, these people were treated as and enjoyed all of the benefits of Roman citizenship. They were Romans. And that created some conflict for them when some of their citizens became Christians. Are y'all tracking with me? Did I lose you yet? We're just getting started. So in America, we're not the first people, we're not the first Christians who sort of had to wrestle with this idea of belonging to more than one 
nation, if you will, a, a physical nation, a prosperous nation, a great nation, a nation that it has a lot of benefits to being a part of. We're not the first group of Christians who've, who've had that situation and circumstance. We're not the first Christians who've had to sort of sort out our allegiances and commitments to a prosperous nation state and to the nation state of Jesus Christ. We're not the first ones. Now, the book of Philippians, in chapter 1. This book has a longer uh, introduction, if you will, than most of the epistles that Paul writes, because we're going to start reading at verse 27. And, and actually, this is the first verse of the body of this letter. He goes on at some length with sort of the... Um, introductory matters and so forth. But but verse 27 is the first verse of what uh, of what we might call the body of the letter. Now, listen to this. The first thing he says in the body of this letter to these Romans who were situated at Philippi, these new Christians who were situated at Philippi, the first thing he says to them in the body of the letter, verse 27. Only let your manner of life, and some uh, versions will say conversation there, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents, This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation in that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. These folks belong to to more than one group. But he's telling them that they are to prioritize living as subjects of the gospel. In his mind, these things were not equal. It wasn't a matter of trying to hold on to both of them equally having one in the right hand and the other in the left and then trying to walk down the street or ambulate, as it were, in a way that you could be steady and stable with the two things. No, he said one of them is far more important than the other, and that's the one you need to cleave to. You need to keep these things in proper proportion, and the proportion is I keep both hands on this one, and whatever I catch out of that one is just okay, whatever. That's the proportion. Now, I listen, I know y'all aren't interested in all this Greek. I'm going to mention a word here, though. The word that's translated, manner of life or conversation, is a Greek verb. Pali te omai. Do you see it? Pali te omai. Politics. That's the Greek word. So the Greek word for city is polis. And so this word here has to do with how you conduct yourself as a citizen of the polis, as a citizen of the city-state. And he's telling them that they need to make sure they let their conversation or their conduct, some versions will say conduct, be as befitting the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is a, um, a noun similar to this verb, polites, citizen. He's telling them that though they have dual citizenship, they belong to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the Romans, 
that in living their daily lives, they should make sure they conduct themselves not as Romans, but as Christians. The term here is pretty closely related to our word politics or politician or political. And it means to live as citizens. That's what the word means. He says to them, live as citizens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word he uses here is unique in the New Testament. It's only used this one time in the New Testament. I'm persuaded that he uses it with the Philippians because it would resonate with them in a way it might not have resonated with other people because of the conflict that they had. So his opening an overarching directive to the Philippians. And when you read through the letter with that understanding, you can see that he continues to pull on this idea that though you believe belong to more than one group, your commitment, your allegiance is to the one. You don't really have to worry about balancing the two as if they're equal. You need to keep these things in proper proportion. That's what he's trying to impress upon the Philippians. I imagine that if we were in the first century, it would have been a pretty nice thing to be a Roman citizen. You know, Roman citizens had rights and privileges that other people didn't have. You remember they they got after old Paul and were about to beat him. Paul was tired of getting beaten. He said, now, is it lawful for you to beat me now, being uncondemned, a Roman? They said, oh, wait a minute, better not put our hands on him. He's a Roman citizen. There were certain privileges and benefits that came with Roman citizenship. Paul said, listen, I appeal to Caesar. Everybody didn't get to appeal to Caesar. A Roman citizen could do that. And so when the occasion warranted it, he used his Roman citizenship as it as it sort of was beneficial to him in advancing the gospel and doing the work of God. But but Paul didn't run around telling everybody, I'm a Roman, I'm a Roman. He told everybody he was a Christian. You know why? Because one of these is much more important than the other. In uh, Ephesians chapter two. If you remember in verse 19, he says that uh, people should conduct themselves as fellow citizens of the household of God. It's the same word. It just has a prefix on there that really just means citizens with fellow citizens. I'm saying to you that this has to be our commitment. We should prioritize living as citizens of the kingdom of heaven rather than you know, our particular flavor of heathen that we may sort of identify a little more closely with than somebody else. You know, I sometimes have to tell people, I don't know if they know this, but, you know, you can you can go to heaven in any country on the world on, in the world. Did you know that? I mean, you don't have to be an American to go to heaven. You can go to heaven somewhere else. And though there are lots of benefits to being an American, there are lots of benefits we shouldn't treat those benefits as if they're in any way competitive with the benefits of, of being a citizen of heaven. They're, they're just not even close. Paul would say all of the all of the earthly benefits that he enjoyed being a Jew, he counted but dung so that he might know Christ. There just is there just is no competition between the two. So. We can be citizens of a common state and we're citizens of more than one state. And that makes us amenable to more than one law. And my brother who invoked the Second Amendment 
he forgot for a moment that he's also amenable to the gospel, the law of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what anyone says we can do in America. If God says no, that trumps anything anybody says we can do in America. And listen, I teach the Constitution every day. I believe we ought to know our rights, and I believe that when the occasion warrants it, we should use our rights to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. But sometimes, because there's a conflict, one of the two is going to have to suffer, and it should not be the gospel. That's my point. Paul specified that uh, his exhortation here was that people should live worthy of the gospel. So if there's any conflict, guess what? One of these is going to have to go and it cannot be the gospel. I want to show you if you go to chapter three in the same book here, you go to chapter three. Paul is going to pull on this same idea again. Now, he he meant, he uses the word there in Philippians one twenty seven. It's the only time it's in the New Testament. But I say to you, this is in his mind. He's writing this epistle and he comes back to this idea in chapter three. And verse number 20, you see here, he says, uh, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He explicitly returns to this idea of citizenship and he says our citizenship is in heaven. Were they still citizens in Philippi? They were. Were they still citizens of Rome? They were. Then why didn't he mention that? In the letter he writes to them, why doesn't he mention that? Because they're not equal. One of these means everything. And the other one, well, we just we just kind of take whatever's left. One of them means everything. So we prioritize living as citizens of heaven. And the word citizenship is closely associated to the the other uh, word that I mentioned there in Philippians 1 and 27. If I mentioned it, you'd see it again. The, the root, the beginning of that word, politics, political uh, and so Paul is saying we ought to live like citizens of heaven. I want to share something with you that I uh, got from one of the, uh, a commentary. Ben Witherington wrote a commentary on this book, socio-rhetorical commentary. And that doesn't mean you need to run out and read it. I just want to share with you the part that might be helpful to you in this respect. Witherington says about chapter three and verse 20, Paul is suggesting that the Philippians are actually citizens of heaven, though they are living in Philippi. They are, this is the language I think is really helpful for us, they are God's colony in a pagan city and their commonwealth and constituting government is in heaven just as their ruler is Christ. In contrast to those in the audience who could claim Roman citizenship, Paul is saying that every Christian in the audience, even the slaves, have a higher and prior commonwealth and citizenship that is based in the distant capital called heaven rather than Rome. He's exactly right. Essentially what we have in this world as the church is God having established a colony in a foreign land and dispatched us as citizens of his kingdom to live as colonists in a 
foreign land. The same way the Europeans sent people to the Americas to colonize it, but before the colonists rebelled, you know what they were? They were citizens of England and France and Spain. They were citizens of another place, though they lived in this one. That's what we are. Don't forget it. That's what we are. We should not identify ourselves in any way that matters with any kind of political group or social group. We should identify ourselves as citizens of heaven. That's who we represent. That's who we owe our allegiance to. Our leader is Christ and we wait here for him. And the law that means everything to us, the thing that controls how we conduct ourselves, how we think about this world, how we treat other people, is not the Constitution. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is trying to help these Christians in Philippi. They were truly citizens of two kingdoms simultaneously. And there were conflicts in their own hearts and their own minds and also in their dealings with one another from time to time. And so he's trying to help them. You belong to one thing secular and one thing spiritual. And to the extent that there's any conflict at all, you hang on to the spiritual with both hands. I think that uh, it would have been nice to be a Roman citizen when... The Romans were in power. It just, I, I believe it had to be nice. It would have been good because, you know what, if you were not a citizen, it wasn't as easy for you as it would have been for somebody else. And I happen to know there are certain benefits to being an American citizen. It's just nice, you know, that just we... We more, we're more prosperous than other countries in the world. Maybe we have more freedoms than people do in other places. And uh, we're able to kind of, to a certain extent, do what we want to do more than, more than most people in the world. And that's nice. But can I tell you something? Nice is not necessary. Nice is not necessary. We don't have to have all these freedoms that we have to go to heaven. No, we don't. We don't have to have all of these freedoms to live the life that Jesus wants us to live exactly. And what we should remember, and this is part of the consternation that people have in their own hearts. What we should remember is that we are colonists of heaven in a pagan land. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And so what you see on the news, what you see in the political cycles, what you see in terms of how human beings deal with each other is you see pagans doing pagan things. In the church, we just have to remember that uh, that's not who we are. And though we are in the same place as other folks, we're amenable to a different law than other folks. Paul had uh, modeled this kind of commitment before these people. You see what he says? He tells them, uh, chapter 3, let me see here, chapter 3. Go back to uh, verse 17. Now, we read verse 20, beginning, but go back to verse 17. What he's calling them to do in verse 20 is something that he's already done and he's modeled for them. Look at verse 17. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. Follow my example. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears 
walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And that's the context in which he says their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with man set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. Can I say to you, let's not be minded on earthly things. It brings conflict with people who are looking to the cross of Christ. That's what he's telling them is going on. And he says, don't do that. Focus on spiritual things. That is, our, we ought to prioritize living as citizens of heaven. I mentioned Paul was born a Jew. And you know what? Paul had a great deal of interest and concern for his Jewish heritage and his Jewish brethren. But you know what? He had a greater interest and a greater concern for Jesus Christ. So that when there was conflict between his brethren and Christ, you know which one he chose? He chose Christ. He was a Roman citizen, and sometimes he would point out to people that he was a Roman citizen. But you know what? Only as it was instrumental in helping him to to serve Jesus Christ. There were some occasions where Paul would make reference to his birthplace. He said, I'm a I'm a man of Tarsus, no mean city. I mean, I just want you to know where I'm coming from. It's not a bad place. He only mentioned that because it was beneficial, expedient, helpful in trying to connect with the folks he was talking to. Those things didn't mean anything to him. Not in not in relation to or comparison to his commitment to Christ. Christians are not immune to the pressures of simultaneously belonging to more than one group. Everybody in this room belongs to more than one group at the same time. And that is going to create in our own hearts at times a certain conflict. And if we're not careful, it can create a certain kind of conflict in our dealings with other Christians. Can I just tell you that in the last several years, I have been called by and to congregations that have been torn apart because people don't understand this basic concept. It's fine to be an American. It's fine if you happen to think it's most expedient to vote for this party or that one. It's fine that you have certain cultural groups that you belong to and that that's important to you and you choose to celebrate that in some way. It's fine that you like being an American. It's fine. But it's rubbish compared to the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't die so we could be Americans. He did not die so we could be a part of some political group in America. He didn't die so that we could look like him physically. He died so we could live like him in a godless world so that we could be his people in the beachhead that God has established on this earth. And that includes in this nation. I'm saying to you, it's dangerous to align too closely with any group other than the group that Jesus died for. The church of our Lord Jesus Christ, social groups, political groups, academic groups, cultural groups, language groups, any group, any group that has any conflict with Jesus Christ. Guess what? We should let it go. We should let it go so we can hold on to Jesus Christ 
with both hands. Whatever degree of appreciation and affection one might have for national citizenship or the way we use political, we really are talking about partisan politics. We're not talking about in the classical sense how citizens ought to interact and deal with one. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about partisan politics. And whatever we think about the best way to go in that respect, we should never divide from one another based upon our opinions, which is all they are in that regard. We should never fall out with Christians over secular things. We ought to be falling in with Christians wherever we can find them. And I'll tell you what, it's going to become more and more difficult to find them. If you look at John chapter 17, at least in America, it'll be more and more difficult. If you look at John 17, I just want you to remember these words, these words that Jesus prayed. John 17, beginning at verse number 14. This is the son talking to his father. And he says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Listen to this. Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. They are in the world, are they not? Aren't they situated in the world, along with a lot of other people situated in the world? But he says that's not the group they belong to any more than I belong to that group. Then he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I need them to stay here. They are our colonists here. And I'm asking you to protect them while they are here, but they don't belong here. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. He says it again. Sanctify them, set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. You cannot hang on to the word of God and something else as if they are equal and do it the way Jesus said he wants it to be done. Set them apart from everybody else according to your word. Both hands on the Bible. We ought to stand out in the world. I think sometimes we look a bit too much like the world. Folks are worried about persecution, but there's no reason to persecute us because we just look like everybody else. If we truly stood up and stood out, well, then we might actually be persecuted. As it is right now, though, I mean, there's no need. What I'm saying to you in terms of balance a balanced view of politics. Keep these things in proper proportion. All of your attention, all of your loyalty, all of your commitment, all of your fealty, all of your allegiance to Jesus Christ. If you do it that way, you'll find yourself in good company. Because you'll be able to associate closely with anyone who has that same allegiance. And if you put all these other things as a distant second, 
then we can have the kind of unity Jesus prayed for, the kind of unity he died to bring about. I think it's worth doing that. What do you think? See, I think it's worth doing that because I know that Jesus died for me. I don't know about you. I mean, I don't know your life and all that. I can just tell you that there are lots of people in this world, lots of people in the church that I wouldn't have had the time of day for if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. I'm just being honest. I know that's too much for y'all. I'm just telling you the truth. I mean, I'm just being too straightforward, too transparent. There are a lot of people in the Lord's church I wouldn't have had the time of day for if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. But those same people. Because of Jesus, I love and would give my life for. And I'm not willing to separate from them over things that make no eternal difference at all. I know Jesus died for me. He died for you as well. And he died so that we could live as citizens of heaven in the world. He wants to take us with him to be with the father. I know that. But in the meantime, he wants us to serve him and the father right here where we are. He said, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. Leave them here. And they ought to live as citizens of heaven while they are here. Jesus Christ is the son of God. He died to show how important it is for us to prioritize heavenly things. He came and he taught us and he modeled for us. And he laid his life down so we could see it. Do you see it? If you do see it, I say to you, you have to put your faith in it. You have to put your trust in it. It's not enough to say, well, I, you know, I mean, that sounds okay to me. I'll accept that if you say that. No, that's not enough. You have to put your trust in it. That means you have to live like it's true every day. You have to live like it's true. The Bible uses the word faith. It's not just saying, I think that's okay, that's acceptable to me. No, it's saying that you have to trust in it. That means you have to live like it. And I tell you what, for all of us on some level, that means we've got to make some changes. That's what repentance is. You just need to change your mind, you know, because if you've been prioritizing things other than the things that Jesus wants you to prioritize, he's not going to change his mind. I tell people that all the time. If you fall out with Jesus, he's not going to change his mind so y'all can be on the same page. Okay, if you want to be on the same page with him, you have to change. That's what repentance is. And I'll tell you what, anybody in here that's too good to repent is just good enough to go to hell. I'm just, and I hate to say things like that because people think it's too. But listen, I'm just transparent like that. If you're too good to repent, then you're just good enough to spend eternity in hell. Change your mind. Let go of these other things. Keep both hands on the Bible. Fall in with other people who are living like that with both hands on the Bible. Let's make sure we maintain unity in the body of Christ, the body that Jesus died for. And I tell you, for all of us, that means we have to be really careful and introspective and pay close attention to just how closely we cleave to these other things. If you're not already a Christian, you have to have your faith in Jesus Christ. You'll have to make some changes because he is the Lord. We're amenable to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the law that we follow. If you're not a Christian, you'll have to make these changes. Trust in God. Trust in Jesus. Repent of your sin. 
And if you want to go further, you'll have to say something. Now, you can do all that right there. You know, you can just say, well, I changed my mind right here. I believe that Jesus died for me and I changed my mind. And you can do that right where you're sitting. But if you want to go further, you're going to have to say something. You have to open your mouth and say, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. Paul said that confession moves us closer to being saved. You have to be baptized for the remission of your sins. Jesus referred to this as being born again. You were born. Maybe you were born in America and you didn't have a say in that matter. That's just the way it was. It was somebody else's decision. If you want to be born into the family of God, that's your decision. Nobody's going to make you. Nobody can do it for you. You have to decide. Yes, I'm here on the earth, but I want to live as a citizen of heaven. If you do, then you achieve your citizenship through baptism. That puts you into the family of God. You have to be baptized to wash your sins away. If you're already a Christian and you realize you've fallen short, made some mistakes, then we invite you to we invite you to let us know if we can help you. I mean, listen, I know you're sitting right there. You can change your mind right there. Sometimes we need some encouragement. We need some help. We need people to pray with us and for us. And you know what? That's our privilege to do that. We would love to pray with you and for you. You just have to let us know. We'll stand and sing this song of invitation. If we can help you, please let us know how we can tonight.